Hey guys, welcome back to Recalibrate, a mindset podcast designed to help you break free from the old while pressing on to the new. If you are a subscriber, I want to thank you for your faithful following. If you're new to this podcast, I want to say welcome. I hope that today's episode edifies your life. I hope that it impacts you to the point of bringing true transformation to your heart and to your mind. Today's episode is actually a sermon that I preached at a church in Westlaco, Texas, and it's based on uh, the last episode called Next Generation. I address strongholds, educating children, and being mindful of the culture that is trying to change their identity. I hope you like it. Take a few minutes at the end and leave a message. It's an honor to be here with you today. I appreciate that. <laughs> it is an honor. Es un honor estar con la gente bonita de Westlaco. Somebody got it. <laughs> they have no issues with self-esteem. Okay. They're like, yo soy la gente bonita. Well, it's an honor to be here with you today. I want to get right into the message. As you know, I can be long-winded, so I only have a certain amount of time, and I really want to convey a message to you today that I really feel that God has given me for Westlaco. And uh, I recently had a conversation with uh, a good friend of mine. He's been uh, a minister of the gospel for 60 or so years. He's the author of a book called Kingdom Education. Dr. Glenn Schultz, a good friend of mine. And uh, I brought him from uh, North Carolina down to the Valley to come and do a conference. And we were having dinner, and he was sharing some things with me. And he shared a quote that really, the whole message, today's message, really stems from, all, uh, from that particular quote. And I, I believe you have it. If you would put it please up on the screen, it says, whoever wants the next generation the most will get them. Whoever wants the next generation the most will get them. I want you to understand this. Never in the history of our nation has there been so much biblical ignorance. Never. We are going through a time of biblical ignorance. We have, we have forsaken the biblical worldview that we used to have, and I'm talking decades ago, to where we would filter everything through God's word. Now secularism has taken over. And I want you to think about the next generation. Those are our children. In my case, you know, I have a 29-year-old, but I'm also, I also have an 8-year-old son. He's the next generation. I have two grandkids. They're the next generation. And so when I read that quote, it really hit me hard to think that whoever wants them the most, and you got to think about it for a moment, who wants them the most? Now, what I see in our culture today is that the culture is trying to change their name, trying to change their identity, not literally their name, but their identity. There's so much confusion. Some of you know I'm a therapist, and I see lots of people. I see a lot of young people come into my office, and a lot of them come in because they have gender dysphoria. They have gender confusion. They don't know who they are. They've lost their identity, and they've been walking in the Lord since they were little. They've accepted Christ, but the influences and the philosophies and the ideologies of this world have been so much louder than mom and dad speaking the gospel or living the gospel, okay? Uh, today's, let me just preface by saying this, that today's message is not celebratory. <laughs> I don't have any cool jokes to tell you, make you laugh. It's, it's, it's more surgical than it is celebratory. We're going to take the scalpel, which is the word of God, and dig deep into the heart. Now, this is for everyone, especially if you're a grandparent or a parent. But this is also for you if you have no kids. I want you to understand that the louder someone speaks, the more attention they get. Who is speaking the loudest? Is it mom and dad or is it the world system? Is it the educators or is it mom or dad? I want you to understand this. It's very interesting. 
is that between the ages of five and 18, a child is exposed to school for about 16,000 hours. From the ages of five to 18, 13 year span, 16,000 hours, 15,000 hours on social media and only 750 hours church. Who's, who's getting their attention? And so I always have a big beef with this and I'm gonna say it and I step on people's toes and that's okay because I come every year. Every 12 months, I disappear. I'm, I'm like the vapor. I'm here today and gone tomorrow. You know, and then you'll forget. What was that guy's name? Yeah. I want you to know, I want you to know that uh, I might step on some people's toes, but I'm going to say this. If you are a, a firm believer in Christ, if, if you believe in what the word says from cover to cover, from Genesis to Revelation, if you truly believe that, you would, you would not forsake the education of your children. Yeah, and, and a lot of you saying amen, but let me, it's going to get kind of ugly. You ready? So I would not put my child in a classroom in which they're being taught secular ideas. Can I get an amen? Okay, thank you. I would not. Now, if you're a teacher in, the, in, in, the, in a secular environment, meaning a public school system, God bless you. God bless you. May God empower you and equip you, and may you be a light that shines bright for Christ. I know that you're kind of incapacitated because you can't say much, but if I'm a parent and I'm a believer in Christ, I will not subject their minds to that type of education. So what are you saying, Milton? Well, what I'm saying is that I would put them in a Christian education, biblical worldview, or even homeschooling. If you believe what the gospel says, that we're to train up our children in the way that they should go so that when they're older, they won't depart from it, you would change the way you do things. If you would also accept the fact the Old Testament says we're to speak the gospel in our children's hearts and minds throughout the day, it says 24 hours a day, 365 days a year, every day, every minute. And so the foundational scripture for today is out of 2 Corinthians 10, 4 through 6. And this is out of the King James. It says, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. I want to underline that word. Casting down imaginations, I underline that word, and visions, and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity, I underline captivity, every thought to the obedience of Christ. I'll explain that in a bit. Let me read it from the message. The Message Bible says it this way. It says, the world is unprincipled. It's a dog-eat-dog -dog out there. How many of you know that? It's a dog-eat-dog -dog out there right now. The world doesn't fight fair, but we don't live or fight our battles that way. Never have, never will. The tools of our trade aren't for marketing or manipulation, but they are for demolishing the entire massively corrupt culture. We use our powerful God tools for smashing warp philosophies, tearing down barriers erected against the truth of God, fitting every loose thought and emotion and impulse into the structure of life shaped by Christ. Our tools are ready at hand for clearing the ground of every obstruction and building lives of obedience into maturity. Amen? I want to focus on, on those words, imaginations, you know, visions, uh, you know, philosophies, thoughts, bringing those thoughts captive. We're in a dog-eat-dog-eat dog, eat world right now. What speaks the loudest, and I'm going to preface this many, many times, I'm going to say this. Whatever speaks the loudest in your life is going to have the greatest impact, especially in your children's lives. Zero through 11, they're the most formative. Those are the most formative years. That's when you're forming their worldviews. And it's either going to be a secular worldview or a biblical worldview. 
That's when a, your child comes and asks you about the new, the YouTuber that just came out of the closet and said that they're gay, and then they come to you and say, Dad, what does this mean? What do you do? You just hush, hush, and you say, I'm not going to talk about it, or you say, let's see what the Word of God says. That's when it is taking captive every thought that exalted itself against Christ. You take it captive, and you don't hush, hush. You don't coward out. You don't say, we'll talk about that in 10 years because in 10 years, his mind will be molded and shaped to the point where you will no longer be able to do anything about it. And so you sit down with that five-year-old and you start to instruct them according to the gospel. You take every, every thought captive. Now, let me tell you something that you can't give what you don't have, teach what you don't know, or lead someone to a place you've never been to before. If you yourself are not in the practice of taking captive every thought that exalts itself against Christ, against the gospel, then you can't teach it. It starts with you. So that moment that you have that thought that exalts itself, that speaks against the word of God, you take it captive. Taking something captive is taking it by force. You don't just sit there and wait. You take it by force. And you run it through the scriptures. You run it through that filter. Now you can say, well, I know that I'm a child of the most high God, that I'm fearfully and wonderfully made, that I'm the apple of his eye, that, that he will never leave me. No you can rehearse, rehearse, rehearse that stuff. It doesn't matter. But you've not read it for yourself. You've learned it at church. But it's like, it's like, going, it's like your sibling coming to you and say, hey, hey, daddy says he loves you. And you're like, daddy says he loves me. Yeah, but it's different when you go to daddy and daddy tells you straight. I love you, son. It's a different impact. So when you hear it from here, but when you go to the scripture and you start looking, when you start filtering those thoughts through the word of God, it makes a difference. But you can't teach that to your children if you, don't, you yourself don't do it. Now, let me tell you, there's a balance. There's a balance in how we do this and how we teach our children and how we teach other people. The Bible is to be taught this way. Sometimes we, we, we give all truth and no grace or all grace and no truth. There has to be a balance. A good friend of mine said this. He says, truth, truth without grace. There we go. Truth without grace condemns. However, grace without truth condones. We have to have a balance. You can't just go around saying God is love. God is love. God is love. Do whatever you want. Live however you want. God accepts you. God loves you. Even though you're living this kind of lifestyle, you don't have to repent. It's all good at the end of the day. Heaven is for everybody. Can I tell you that that's, that's one of the biggest lies that the enemy is feeding the world today? It's a lie from the pit of hell. That is not the truth. That is not the truth. God says that he never despises those who come to him with a humble and a contrite spirit. And that's what we teach our children. We teach truth. And grace, but we can't separate the two. I don't want to err on the side of too much grace and leave out the substance of the truth because the word of God says that Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And then he says, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. Okay, so we have to know the truth. Now, let me, let me explain why I underlined in that first verse out of 2 Corinthians, I underlined stronghold. Remember what I said, whatever speaks the loudest gets the most attention. And you may not see the result of that thing right away, but you'll see it eventually. Now, the word stronghold has many different, you know, synonyms. I like to use mental constructs, paradigms, mindsets, stronghold. 
A stronghold, and I have the definition, is a faulty thinking pattern based on lies and deception. It's a very simple, you know, uh, definition for stronghold. It's a faulty way of thinking. Now, this is applicable to believers and non-believers. It's lies and deception, and they edify a paradigm or a mental construct in our minds, and we live by that idea, philosophy, or ideology. And that's what the world is trying to do today, especially with our children. It was Hitler who said, if we manage to control the textbooks and the content in the textbooks, we will be able to change a culture. And you're like, yeah, but that was back in the 40s. Uh, that's happening today. That's happening today. When you go into a classroom in the eighth grade in a charter school here in the valley, and you go into the eighth grade, and they're giving every kid a novel that talks about transgenderism and, the CR and, and critical race theory, and they're giving it to them like truth, we have a problem. I don't know if you're starting to see that. There is that tendency. And so we have a problem. Eventually, you will see over time how that mindset of that little five-year-old starts to mold and shape according to the things of the world and not to the things of Scripture, the things of God. We're living in precarious times, people. This is not a time to sleep and slumber. This is not a time to sit down and wait to see what happens. I'm telling you, this is not a time. I teach an eighth grade Bible class and I sit with my eighth graders. We talk about the touchy subjects, everything going on, on social media. We talk about the things and we run it through the filter of the word of God. Every single day, we want those kids to grow up to be world changers. We want them to grow up and to be ministers, marketplace ministers. They don't have to go to China to do that. They start in their community making a difference. But we've got to teach them. Amen. So a stronghold is a faulty thinking pattern based on lies and deception. Now, remember what I said. The louder it speaks, the more attention it gets. You know, I have seen, I have seen in, in therapy that people who come to me who are adults the ones who are adults who said to themselves, I will never be like my father, they turn out like their father. And you know, there's a, there's a reason for that. And the reason is that the one who got the most attention was dad because he was the loudest, he was the most aggressive, he was the most abusive, he was the ugliest. He got the most attention. And although this kid grew up thinking, I don't ever want to be like my father, he became like his father because his mind was conditioned to become like him. Whatever speaks the loudest. You can say, I don't want to be like so-and-so, but eventually you will. Unless you're intentional about the word of God. Unless you're intentional about not molding yourself to the world and doing what Paul said. Don't conform to the ways of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Well, no, I just want to be like everyone because I want to be cool, okay? Well, that's going to be your lot in life. You know, that's what the rich man said <laughs> when he was in hell and he was asking for a drop of water in the Bible. You're getting quiet on me. I didn't come, I didn't come to make you laugh today. I come to make you think. 
I believe that this word is for you today. You know, when I say whatever speaks the loudest gets the most attention, whatever gets the most attention has the potential to change your identity, to change your name, to change your name. Now, keep that in mind. Change your name. Change your identity. You know, if you've if you followed me on, on social media, if you heard me speak before, I use the analogy of the, uh, the Chinese bamboo tree a lot. And I use that in therapy a lot, too. The Chinese bamboo tree is a tiny little seed that when it's planted, it takes five years to break the ground. Five years. And so you don't see anything happen for five years. And so the gardener has to water, rake, has to clean up the area, has to fertilize, has to do all these things. It's a process for five whole years, but for five whole years, they don't get anything at all. Not even a glimpse of life, nothing. But on the fifth year, it sprouts, it breaks the ground, and it starts to grow. Now, what's amazing about the Chinese bamboo tree, and you'll see the relationship between the bamboo tree and what we're talking about, is that in, a, in about six weeks after it breaks the ground, it only takes six weeks for the Chinese bamboo tree to grow the size of a seven-story building. Yes, it only takes six to seven weeks to grow to the size of a seven-story building. And there are these massive structures. They're big. Huge trees, Chinese bamboo tree. How does that relate to what we're talking about? Well, let me tell you. The words that are being taught to us over and over and over and over, it's like that five-year period, that period of that five years where you don't see anything. Nothing is happening at all. At least you see in the minds of kids. You subject them to something, submit them into an environment, and you're like, hey, they're gonna be fine. I haven't seen any changes. Then on the fifth year, they break the ground, and then they start to grow. And once they've grown to this massive seven-story building, it's hard to tear that thing down and, re and start all over again. You don't see what's happening. The question was, when did the Chinese bamboo tree start growing? Someone said, on the fifth year. No. The Chinese bamboo tree started growing the moment it was planted. It sprouted downward, and it grew a structure under the ground that was deep and wide. Deep and wide. Why? Because it, was, it needs that deep and wide structure to sustain such a, tall, such a tall tree. That's what happens in the minds of people. The repetition of that thing over and over and over is only building a structure underground that is deep and it is wide. And in the moment that you least expect it, boom, it breaks the ground and it becomes this tall structure that you cannot take down. I want you to think about that. Think about your children. Think about your grandchildren. Strongholds. Strongholds are things that we can't see, yet they're powerful. They're like that deep and wide structure under the ground. They are powerful, and they are lies. They are lies. It's like the lie when you have a father who failed you. When your dad was not a dad, he was not a good father, he was not a loving father. And so that the enemy comes and whispers in your ear, if your earthly father, who you were able to see, didn't love you and despised you, why would you think that a God that calls himself your heavenly father that you can't see would even love you? And so we have a stronghold. And then we start to think, well, that's true. Why would, why would a heavenly father I can't even see love me if my own father hated me? And so those are those strongholds that start to build up in our minds, and they start to change our name. Now, I want you to understand, if you're a believer in Christ, there's a difference between possession and oppression. You cannot be possessed 
by the enemy because you've been sealed by the Holy Spirit. Somebody say amen. amen. Okay, you're sealed. There's a big sign that says, this is my property and God's property. It's like you're sealed. But, and here's a big but, <laughs> you can't be oppressed. You can't be possessed, but you can be oppressed. You can be oppressed by the enemy and that oppression forms a form of a, 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 a kind of like a bondage but we can rise up and resist and overcome and defeat the enemy's lies but you can only do that when you know the word of god <laughs> you, you can't do it otherwise it's like oh well you know pastor david said or pastor john said or whoever said and i just take their word for it uh you need to go straight to the word of god a lot of people come and say, brother, would you pray for me? What, what do you need me to pray for you about? You know, I haven't heard from God in a long time. Have you cracked open your Bible? Because that's his word, though. <laughs> that's his word. What were you expecting? What, what were you expecting? A, 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 a Jesus in the Jordan moment? <laughs> this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. You want the heavens to open up and you want to hear his voice? It's not going to happen. Open up the gospel. Open up his word and he will speak to you through his word. But you can't rise up when you're being oppressed, completely disarmed, and you have nothing to fight against the enemy with. You see, Jesus, when he was tempted for 40 days, 40 nights, every time the enemy came, Jesus had three words that he would always say. Whenever he came and said, see that rock, turn it into bread, you're hungry, eat it. Jesus said, it is written. Now, you can only say that when you know what is written. You can't just say it is written and expect the enemy to flee. It is written, Jesus would say. It is written. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. It is written. If you don't know it, you don't know it. If you don't know it, you don't know it. How can you minister to somebody if you don't know? If you don't, you yourself don't even believe in the veracity of the Bible but yet you're trying to share. That's why I said at the very beginning that we're living in this country, we're living uh, probably, we've never seen as much biblical ignorance as we are today because we're distracted. I said this the other day, I said, if the enemy can't make you bad, the enemy will make you busy. If the enemy can't make you bad, the enemy will make you busy. He will. It'll make you busy. There are three weapons that the enemy uses against you, against your children, against your grandchildren. Three weapons are deception, temptation, and accusations. Deception, temptation, and accusations. The Bible says that the, that the devil, the enemy, Satan, is the father of all lies. He's a great deceiver. He's the accuser of the brethren. That's what he does for a living. He goes around as a roaring lion. You've heard that. Seeking whom he may devour. Seeking whom he may devour. And I was watching National Geographic many years ago, and I remember that they did an aerial shot of a herd of impalas that were running on the African savanna. And, and there was a lion that was, that was comfortably laying in the, in the savanna, just comfortably. The, the impalas couldn't see the lion because the grass was so tall. But over on the other side, uh, where, uh, probably to the, to the uh, west side of where the, the lion was at, was, was a den filled with uh, the female lions. And there was about 30 of them. Now, the lion was alone, 
the female lions were in a pack. And so when the impalas were racing toward the lion in that direction, all the lion did was roar. And it was a mighty roar. It was a very loud roar. And when the impalas heard the roar, what they did was they diverted. They rerouted. And so they ran west. And when they ran west, they fell into the lion's den with the lion, the female lions. And they, each one, each one killed an impala. And all the lion did was walk over and feast on the dead, on the dead impalas. How does this relate to us? The Bible says that, that we are to submit to the Lord, resist the enemy, and he shall flee. Okay. Resist means to confront. It doesn't mean to run away, to coward out. Resist means to confront. And so if the impalas had chosen to run in the direction of the lion, that lion would have, di- would have died, would have been trampled on, would have been dead, and they would have salvaged their lives. But they heard the roaring lion, and they diverted. If we don't know the word of God, we're going to divert. We're going to divert, and we're going to end up in a bad place. But we have to know the word of God. Let me tell you about the progression of the stronghold. Spiritual strongholds, listen. Spiritual strongholds begin with a thought. One thought becomes a consideration. A consideration develops into an attitude, which leads then to action. Action repeated becomes a habit, and a habit establishes a power base for the enemy. Let me say it again. Now listen, because everything starts with a, with a what? A thought. Spiritual strongholds begin with a thought. One thought becomes a consideration. A consideration develops into an attitude, which leads then to action. Action repeated becomes a habit, and habit establishes a power base for the enemy. That's how it works. Now, the voices of the culture today, and whether in the education system or in the world in general, are very subtle, very subtle, very subtle. If you've ever heard the analogy of or the metaphor of the frog, I want, you to, I want you to picture this. If you, take a, if you take a pot with boiling water and you take a pot with room temperature water and you stick a frog in the room temperature water and you slowly increase the heat, slowly the frog will die in the water if you slowly increase it. It won't feel the difference. It'll become used to or acclimated to the temperature of the water. It was room temperature, and you just increase the heat a little bit at a time over a period of time. Eventually, the frog dies. It doesn't do anything to uh, escape. It doesn't try to salvage its life. It just dies in the water because it became numb to the increase of temperature. It became used to it. However, if you have a boiling pot of water and you throw the frog in there, what's the frog going to do? Jump right out. Jump right out. That's exactly the way a Christian operates. When you're going into a scenario or an environment that is conducive to spiritual death, you jump right out. But when you don't know the word of God and you step in there and you're like, pues que tanto es un poquito. Some of you understood that. How much is a little bit? Just a little bit. Let me just try a little bit. Just a little bit. And a little bit turns into a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more until you become numb and you die spiritually. 
That's how the enemy operates. Uh, French literary Charles Baudelaire said this. He says, one of the artifices of Satan is to induce men to believe that he does not exist. Another, perhaps equally fatal, is to convince them that he is obliged to stand quietly by and not to meddle with them if they get into true silence. It's powerful. That's one of the greatest. Well, there was a movie in 1995. It had this line. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world that he didn't exist. If you've ever heard someone say, oh, there's no such thing as a devil. Uh, just, as a, just as God is real, so is the devil. He is real. And you got to wake up every morning fully clothed in the armor of God. Every single morning. Every single morning. Every single morning. If you don't, believe me, you will succumb. Now, let, let, me, let me talk about changing the name because what the culture is trying to do to you is change your name, change your identity, change the name of our children and their identities. I, I, I name this one here the Mephibosheth mindset. I want to talk about Mephibosheth. How many of you have ever heard about Mephibosheth? Some of you. Some of you are like, who is that, right? Mephibosheth. So just, just really quick, Mephibosheth was, uh, you know, remember King Saul and Jonathan, his son? Well, Mephibosheth was Jonathan's son. So you had King Saul, Jonathan, Mephibosheth. Uh, Jonathan and, and his dad, King Saul, they went to war. They lost. They died. When word came to uh, the kingdom that, uh, that they had died, uh, they knew the people that were running the home, the palace, they knew that the other ones, which were the, I don't know if it were the Israelites, they were going to come and obliterate the rest of the family. And so Mephibosheth was a little boy. And his nanny heard of what was going to happen. So she quickly grabbed Mephibosheth. She picked him up in her arms and she fled. She ran. As she was running, she tripped and she landed on top of Mephibosheth, the Bible says, and crippled him of both legs. So now Mephibosheth, Mephibosheth is without a grandpa, without a dad. He is running away from, you know, the palace, trying to salvage his life with this nanny, but now he's crippled. And so she goes to this place called Lodabar. Now, now stay with me. He grew up in a palace. They're fleeing. Now he's crippled. Now they're going to a place called Lodabar. Lodabar stands for a desolate place, a place of great desolation. This is where poor people live, sick people live, the outcasts, the underdogs lived in Lodabar. Nobody went to Lodabar unless you were part of that group. And so she thought to herself, if we manage to make it to Lodabar, the Israelites won't go over there and look for this kid. They'll never find him. Well, and that's exactly what happened. So Mephibosheth grows up in Lodabar. He grows up, becomes an adult, is married. And so many, many years later, David is now king. And he calls his servant Seba. He says, hey, Seba, would you please see if there's anyone left from the house of Saul? I want to bless them. And, and Seba looks at him and says, Lord, there's nobody left. What are you talking about, king? He says, no, I want you to go out and inquire and see if anyone is left because I want to give back the property and everything that belonged to them. So he goes out and inquires, come back and says, hey, guess what? I found, I found out that there's, a, there's a, a man by the name of Mephibosheth. He was uh, Jonathan's son. He said, bring him to me. And so fast forward, he goes, brings him to the king. He comes into the uh, king's chambers. He brings in Mephibosheth, and the Bible says, and I believe I have that scripture up there uh, from 2 Samuel. Um, he goes into to be with, with the king, and as he goes in there, Mephibosheth falls to the ground, the Bible says, with his face down to the ground, and he looks up, and, and, and the king says, Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth bowed down and said, what is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? I want you to focus on that for a moment. 
Go back in time. Mephibosheth was son of a king, or a prince, grandson of a king, grew up in a palace, had royal DNA in his blood. He was destined to become a leader, a ruler. He was destined for greatness. But because he had been transferred over to a place called Lodabar, his environment was so much louder than what he was used to. And his environment molded and shaped him to become who he became. Who did he become? No longer the son of a king or the son of a prince, but like a dead dog. His name was changed. His name was, his identity was changed. I want you to understand that's what environment does to you. Think about your children. Think about your kids. This is what environment does. Oh, it's just a little bit. I don't know much about his friends, but he wants to go to a sleepover. It's just a little bit. It's just a one-nighter. Yeah, that can make, believe me, in therapy, I've seen it. When these 40-some-year-olds come over and say, hey, I've been struggling in my marriage because, because of what, I don't know what, and we go back and we go back and we go back and we find out that they slept over when they were five years old at somebody's house and they were sexually abused. And it was one night. That's all it took. Changed their identity. Changed their identity. You can never be too cautious. You can never be too cautious. That's the, that's the Mephibosheth mindset. Let me, fast, let, me, let me move over to Gideon. What about Gideon? How many of you have heard of Gideon? Yes, Gideon, Gideon mindset. Now, Gideon, Gideon, uh, you know, again, just to share the framework, they, they are, uh, they're hiding from the Midianites. They're hiding from the Midianites, and, and Gideon is, uh, he's basically in a hole, and he's thrashing, you know, wheat. He's in, he's in this hole. And then all of a sudden, you know, and, and, and let me just tell you, Gideon is weak. Gideon is, is easily, um, he's anxious, he's, he's scared, he's freaking out, you know, he's hiding, he's trying to salvage his life, he's in a hole, the Midianites are out to get the Israelites, so he's hiding, and then all of a sudden, the angel of God appears to Gideon as he's in a hole, and the angel says, God is with you, oh mighty warrior. Now the guy doesn't look like a warrior, he's trembling, he's anxious, he's in a hole, He's hiding. But then God shows up. You know, he sends an angel and God speaks to him and says, God is with you, almighty warrior. And then Gideon replies, with me, my master? If God is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all the miracle wonders our parents and grandparents told us about telling us, didn't God deliver us from Egypt? The fact is, God has nothing to do with us. He has turned us over to Midian. That's what he's telling, you know, the angel. But God faced him directly and said, Go in this strength that is yours. Save Israel from Midian. Haven't I sent you? And so he goes on to say, I'll be with you, God says. Believe me, you will defeat Midian as one man. God had to change Gideon's name. God had to change his name from Gideon to what? Mighty warrior. Mighty warrior. A lot of you here today, you need a name change. You need a name change because you've been dragging, it doesn't matter how many years you've been in Christ, you've been dragging stuff from the past. You need a name change. Let's talk about Abram and Sarai. Abram and Sarai couldn't have kids. They were old. They were old people. Sarai was barren. They wanted to have kids. God shows up and says, I'm gonna give you a child. They la- Sarah laughed. Sarai laughed. They were in disbelief, incredulous. What did God do? (laughs) He changed their name. He says, you will no longer be Abram, you will be 
Abraham, which is the father of many nations. He had no kids. And you, Sarah, I, you will no longer be Sarah, I. You will be Sarah, which means princess and mother of many nations. So every time Sarah, I, now Sarah goes to the marketplace, they call her princess. You think this old lady felt young? Yes, she did. Man, she felt good. Hey, princess. She started believing in that promise, and eventually she was pregnant, and they had Isaac. And you know the story. But God had to change their, their name. God had to change their name. Some of you need to go home and say, Lord, change my name. Some of you need to do that. Lord, change, Lord, change, change our kids' names. Change their names. Change their identities because they're starting to conform to the ways of the world. Father, change their name. And the easiest or the most impactful way is by them seeing that in mom and dad. Not just preaching it, but living it. This is a change their names. In Jeremiah 23, 29, the Bible says, Is not my word like a fire and like a hammer that breaks the rock into pieces? Some of those identities and those ideas that have exalted themselves against Christ, they need to be under, under the, 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 the hammer. We need our God to come in and break those ideas into pieces. I want to conclude with, with four R's. I want to conclude with this. There are four R's that I want you to take with you today that are going to help you through this process. Because the question is, okay, so what do I do now? Well, if you're a Christian, because this, this message was for believers in Christ. If you're not a believer in Christ and you're just here visiting for the first time or for the third time and you yet to take that step, this message wasn't for you. This message is for the believers in Christ, those who have accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior. And I want to give you four R's because the question is, so what do I do now, right? So step number one in breaking these strongholds. Now, it's not an easy thing to do, by the way. It's not an easy thing to do, but if you're intentional, disciplined, and consistent at it, you'll get there. You'll get there. Number one, the first R is reveal. 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 Psalm 139, 23 says, search my heart, O God, and put my thoughts to the test. Show me if there's any iniquity within me. Psalm 139, 23. Let me say it again. Search my heart, O God. Put my thoughts to the test. Show me if there's any iniquity within me. It's like, Lord, show me if there's, if there's, if there's trash inside of my heart. Show me if, if, if I have anger, resentment, uh, bitterness, uh, if I'm holding a grudge, if I've been engaging in, in, in the occult, if I've, if I've been engaging in, in, you know, in, in some kind of a, of a vice, of a, of a habit that, I've, that is sinful, Lord, show me. Show me what it is. Reveal it to me. That's where the R, reveal. And that's what you do in prayer. And, and, you, and, and you're quiet. I told a lady, I told a lady the other day, she, she wouldn't stop talking. And she's like, why, why God this? Why God that? I, I don't hear from God. And I go to pray and I go into my closet and I, and I ask this and I talk for about half an hour and I'm talking, talking, talking. Please don't, don't judge me. I said, well, maybe you need to shut up for a moment. I said, maybe you just need to shut up because you're talking way, you're way too much. You, you need to let God speak now. And so you go and you say, reveal to me. My, I'm a visual learner, so I say, God, paint a picture in my mind. Paint a picture in my heart. Show me what it is that's a hindrance in my life right now. Show me. Please paint a picture. Reveal. Number one. Number two is repent. First John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, remember that? He is faithful and just to, to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, right? 
1 John 1, 9. That's, that's God's word. And so if we repent, <clears throat> as I mentioned earlier from scripture, the Bible says God does not despise someone who comes to him with, a, with a, a humble and contrite spirit, a repentant heart. So number two is repent. So once he reveals it to you, then you go and you say, Father, I, I repent. Father, I've sinned against you. Forgive me. Forgive me. And so you repent. Uh, and number three is renew. And that goes back to the scripture that I read earlier, Romans 12, 2. Don't conform to the ways of the world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may test and approve God's perfect, pleasing, and goodwill for your life. Okay, so he revealed it to you. You repented from it. Now you're going to be intentional enough to renew your mind. God is a gentleman. We have free will. He doesn't force any thought process into your mind. He gives you a new heart, but doesn't give you a new mind. The mind is yours. The mind is yours. What are you going to do with it? You're either going to live in the past with a new heart, but living in the past with those strongholds, with those, with those, the teachings of your mother and father that were maybe, uh, you know, out of whack. <laughs> they were wrong. You know, things like curiosity killed the cat, <laughs> right? Don't ask so many questions. Curiosity killed the cat. Curiosity never killed the cat. Stupidity killed the cat. <laughs> it's the way it is. Honey, honey, you know, sometimes it's good not to know because ignorance is bliss. No, it's not. Ignorance is, is poverty and death. The Bible says my people perish due to lack of knowledge. Ignorance is bliss. Knowledge is power, son. Knowledge is, no, applied knowledge is power. Not just knowledge is power. Knowledge, applied knowledge is power. You can have a lot of knowledge. You, you can have scripture coming out of the wazoo. You can have a, an abundance, but if it doesn't sink into your heart, it does nothing. Okay, so renew. And the last one is resist. That's that from James 4, 7. Submit to the Lord, resist the enemy, and he shall flee. Okay, so submit to the Lord, resist the enemy, and he shall flee. That's the process. And then you go back every, every day. <laughs> Reveal, <laughs> repent, renew, resist. Reveal, and you go back, back every day. Every day you go back, and you do this every single day. When do you stop? Never, never, never. We're constantly renewing our minds. We're... Sanctification isn't a one-time process. Sanctification is every single day. Every single day. Oh, and the, the struggle is real, brother. <laughs> the struggle is real, sister. Sanctification is every single day. Every single day. So, did you get something? Okay, good, good, good. Let me pray, let me pray. Father, we come before you right now in the mighty and precious name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your goodness and grace. You're so good to us, Father. Lord, we want to get to know you better. We want to get to know you more, Father. We don't just want to, want to know you through what other people say or videos or audios or podcasts. Father, we want to know you. Like, we want to have that experience with you, Father. And we know that that, that comes through your word, Father. Well, I pray for my brothers and sisters here today. I pray that the message that I have shared, Father, that I believe that you have given to me for them, Lord, that it will sink not only in their minds, but in their hearts. That just like the Chinese bamboo tree, it will start to build a deep and, and wide root system so that something good can grow from it, Father. But Lord, I know that some of them are burdened today because they've heard the message and they're thinking about their children. Father, I pray that you would encourage and strengthen each and every one of the parents that are here today, the grandparents as well, 
that they wouldn't just give in to the culture, that they would not just submit to the culture and just think that it's okay because everyone is doing it. Father, I pray that they would rise up and be mighty warriors as you called Gideon to be. Father, that they would not have the Mephibosheth mindset and think, I'm just a dead dog, who am I? I pray, Lord, that they would realize who they are in you and the, and the strength and the power that you've given them and how you've equipped them. Father, and at the end of the day, when they're called, Father, to your presence, you're gonna ask them what they did with the children that you, that you placed under their leadership, Father. I pray, Lord, that they would do what is right. So, Father, I just pray with, for everyone here today. Bless them, Father. Continue to equip them. I pray that they would take those four R's and they would go home today, that you would reveal to them so that they may repent and then renew and then resist. Father, we're living in precarious times, but you are still God. You are still God. And your word says that greater is he that is in me, in us, than he that is in the world. You're greater. And you've given us full authority over the enemy. Father, we cannot be oppressed, we cannot be possessed, but we can be oppressed, but we rise up today, fully clothed, fully clothed in the armor of God, especially with the sword of the Spirit, which is your word. I pray that today we would be prompted to get, to dig deeper into your word, Father, and learn more and grow more, Father. Bless everyone here today, Father, I pray in Jesus' name. I appreciate you guys connecting with uh, me today to listen, to learn, and to grow. And I really do hope that uh, today's episode has opened your spiritual eyes, has brought some awareness to you. You have become more, more conscientious about what is going in our world today, especially as we safeguard our children's hearts and minds. We have to start with our own. And, uh, and so I hope that uh, today's episode edified you. If you have any questions, you can send me a message. If you want to add value to this podcast, leave us a positive comment, some really good feedback so that others can connect with us. And just take a few minutes to rate this podcast with a, of course, five-star rating. <laughs> Appreciate each and every one of you. I wish you the best and I will see you soon. God bless you guys. I pray that you do well in all that you set your heart and mind to. <laughs> Have a great one. Bye-bye.